Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Postpartum Coach Podcast, where we embrace our needs as moms, we learn to lead ourselves first, then our families, and where we create our own healing from the inside out to find our way to the work we were meant to do in this world. I'm your host, a fellow mom of three, and a certified life coach, Lizzie Langston. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're having a good day wherever you are. Um, Here is what I know about you guys, you mamas that listen to this podcast. You guys are smart, and you are responsible. You're here trying to get help for your mental health and for your postpartum experience. And one thing I also know about you guys as you, and those of you who are my clients, who I talk to on consults, people who I just interact with you on Instagram. And frankly, you're just, we are the same in that we love truth and we may not be perfect and you know, we're imperfect and we have struggles, but we want to know what's true. And so when I heard of and learned of the truth that will be shared today by my client and a pharmacist, Sarah Townley, who I will introduce in just a minute. Um, I wanted you guys to know it too. Um, it's truth about really what it comes down to is just medication and depression and specifically postpartum depression and what medication does and does not do. We're going to be exploring why why we've been told some of the things we have been. And I guess the main little thing I want you to keep in the back of your mind as you educate yourself through listening to this podcast episode today is that oftentimes the mainstream medical, so what's kind of just the hearsay that you hear passed around in, for example, Facebook groups or other moms that you chat with in your circle, that mainstream stuff is not always the most up-to-date research. There is a discrepancy and a difference between research and actual facts. And then there's, there's media in the world of science and in the world of pharmaceutical drugs. There is um, a media, there are companies and um, parties that have agendas, not and I don't, I don't say agenda, like in a conspiracy theory kind of a way, just like there's systems and businesses that have endpoints and markers that they need to create and get along the way, including all sorts of different things. And so with you, you're not a system. You're not one of those parties that has maybe biases. You're just trying to get truth for you. And the hope of Sarah and I today, as we share what we're going to share, what we've learned mostly through a book that we're going to tell you about, um, called the lost lost connections by Johan Hari, um, is, and I highly recommend it by the way, I will put it in the show notes, but our hope is to just empower you and give you knowledge and understanding so that you can be again, empowered to make the best choices for you and your mental health postpartum and beyond, um, starting right now. So without further ado, um, my friend, Sarah, I'm like, she's a friend, she's a client, she's a pharmacist. What does she not do? Sarah, will you just introduce yourself to us? Aloha, everybody. (laughs) 
My name's Sarah Townley, and I'm all the things that yes. have already been introduced to you. But when I think about myself, um, mostly I think about myself as a mom and somebody who's just trying to learn and become a better version of myself. Um, I have six little kids. I just actually had, I just got done squishing my little three-month-old before I came in here to do this thing. Um, since she's the sixth baby I have, my oldest is 11, and I had boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. You did. I right. didn't realize you had boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. That's so cute. It's a perfect planning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah and I have been working together as coach and client. I'm like, wait, how long? It probably nine months now or almost. Yeah. Yeah. About nine months total. Um, and Sarah is a pharmacist. Will you tell us about your training and your background that way too? And anything else you want to tell us, but go for it. Sure. So outside of the house, I wear two other hats. I have worked as a pharmacist in lots of different places, but my absolute love um, in the world of pharmacy is clinical pharmacy in the primary care setting. So I work in a clinic, and it's a clinic that is actually a training clinic for Montana Family Medicine Residency. So I work with a lot of mid-levels, physicians, residents, and I see patients right next to them, and I deal with a lot of the most complex medication cases, things where meds aren't working right or we need to get better results or we have some side effects. And so I do consultations and I manage medications for patients in the exam rooms. Um, and I love doing that. It's I something that I love, I think, because I build relationships with people. Um, but I also really love personal growth. And I ended up finding life coaching for myself. And once I was able to see the transformation in my own life um, with my weight loss, with my postpartum depression, um, and dealing with just being a mom at home all the time with a bunch of kids that are coming at me from every direction. <laughs> As they do. <laughs> um, I learned how powerful that those tools were. And to be honest, if I had known how much human behavior was really my jam, I probably would have never went into pharmacy, but I chose pharmacy when I still like, had a child brain. Like I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> um, but now I can do both. Like I have Love this it. business where I coach people on reversing their diabetes and I'm an expert in diabetes because um, yeah. I deal with it all day long at work and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, you really are. Like, yes, you guys, if you know anybody who is struggling in type two diabetes, um, or if you are like, please go check out Sarah, where, where can they find you? I know you'll probably say this at the end too, but just in case they want to take a note for someone they love. Sure. My business is called a future by design and you can go on the web and just type in a future by design.com and you'll find me perfect. A future by design.com. Yes. Okay. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Sarah and I, as, um, like passionate people, passionate moms about postpartum depression, because we've both experienced it. Um, sometimes that comes up on our calls. Like we just talk about it and we both decided to read and Sarah, I think read the whole book and I didn't read the whole book, but, um, it's called lost connections by Johan Hari. So Johan Hari is a British gentleman, I believe. And he's also, he was a reporter and he had anxiety and depression for, I mean, he's probably in his forties. So he had it for 
you know, a few decades and he was always just put on medication, anti-anxiety, anti-depression, and was still depressed. And come to find out most people, about 80% of people who are on these, what are called antidepressants, right? SSRIs usually, uh, but not always. Um, and Sarah can tell us about that are, are usually still depressed 80% of the time. And I think it was about 30 something percent of the time, like 33 or 35% of the time, um, brain chemicals are even involved or the, I I could be getting it wrong, but maybe it's antidepressants are effective about 30% of the time, like a significant difference. Is that right? You want to correct me on that? (laughs) You know, I love this book because as a medical professional, I'm very much into the data. Like I want to see the data. And he does a beautiful job of presenting you data in a very, you know, storytelling, uh, engaging way. But bottom line is the guy has researched the heck out of this. And if you want to know where he gets his information, he has this tome of references in the back of the book. So he'll point you to all the studies that he's, you know, citing and all of the literature he's read. And I feel like it's very much his it's his interpretation of the evidence. But the evidence is there for you to read, and I love that because I know that I can verify anything that he's saying in there with actual data. Yeah. So what what were your like biggest surprises? Um, so you guys, we're just going to be discussing like the the like the actual. I think the mainstream solution or the things that we really hear are oh, it's just your brain chemicals. Or it's just your hormones. You just got to wait for your, those hormones to balance out. And the typical things I hear people saying are wait it out or go see your OB and get on antidepressants. And what we find out through his book is like everybody's being told that and everybody's doing that. And everybody's still struggling a lot, like a lot of the time, not all the time. Sometimes it does help. And we're even going to talk about this placebo effect and the stories that are administered along with the actual drugs and and how that's playing into effect. But what were the most surprising things about postpartum depression? Well, or just depression and anxiety and everything he found in the book, like what stood out to you? Well, just to kind of finish answering your first question and talk about the great transition into your next question. The evidence that he cites shows that the clinical effect um, for improving depression and anxiety of antidepressants is minimal, if any. And that's in the midst of some pretty serious potential side effects. And I think that that was very disturbing for me to read. And he ties it in very masterfully on talking about all the forces at play and big pharma and the way that these, um, these drugs have been approved. And, and to me as a pharmacist, that is super interesting. Like one of the things that for sure blew my mind, like I had to text my pharmacy friends about (laughs) it, um, was that 60% of the FDA's like budget or salaries for their employees is paid by big pharma. Do you want to break that down for like a layman, like maybe people who aren't in that world, the FDA, tell us who that is and what's big pharma. Right. So the FDA is responsible for approving drugs that are safe and effective for consumption in the United States. And so they review applications that come from companies that are wanting to bring a new drug to market. And so they, they have to look at all the clinical studies and the data and just the things that he said I'd never heard before. For example, 
You only need to show in two studies that there was any clinical benefit, even if it's modest and it does not have an advantage over other drugs on the market. You could have done 100 studies and 90, not 97 of them could have shown no benefit. But if two did, then you're eligible for approval through the FDA. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. To yeah. Me. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's disturbing. And then, um, and then also, I think that the things that I read in there about just the pharmaceutical drug industry were super disturbing. So, like, if you consider, like, the way he describes it is if you have two teams playing against each other in, like, a hockey game or something, and the referee is being paid by one of the teams, then it seems like there would be a favoritism, right? Well, take that to the scale of approving drugs in the, for the entire United States population to consume, and that 60% of the FDA's budget is being funded by Big Pharma. Like, of course, there's a conflict of interest there. Huge conflict of interest. Yeah. Like, how does this even happen? And to be sure, I went and I did my own verification of these statistics and found that it's, it's worse than Johan Hari even says in his book. It's actually 75% of their budget is funded through Big Pharma. That Okay. So to break that down, we're basically saying that the same people that are creating the drugs to sell them are the same people controlling the people who approve them for safety. And so you can see how there's a conflict of interest. The FDA, 75% of their budget for doing what they do comes from the same people who are creating the drugs for them to test. And so if they're going to disapprove drugs, like their budget could go down. They could have less money to pay their employees. Like there's definitely a conflict of interest there. Um, not to, again, I'm not scheming here and saying, oh, these people are bad necessarily or that they don't care about our health, but that's not, that's not the way you want your drugs being tested is from the, basically the, the, you don't want your referee to be biased. Yeah, and then when you know that the commissioner of the FDA last year, I believe, went to work for Pfizer, you know, on their board, it's amazing to me how very much intertwined our regulatory process is from approving drugs on the market with the people who are researching and um, selling the drugs. Yeah. Okay, so what's Pfizer? Is that one of the big pharmaceutical companies? It's probably the largest in the country. Okay. Yeah. And like, we'd love to say, you know, I would love to be like, Hey, go advocate everybody, like go talk to your congressman and stuff. And maybe one day there will be a different system in place to mitigate that conflict of interest so that our drugs are tested by more neutral in a more neutral setting. So that would be in our, in our better interest. But until that day, Sarah and I have really just concluded. And I think you will too, that like the next best thing is to just do your own research and don't just get spoon fed from doctors or from not saying doctors are bad, but like, um, like do your homework with your mental health and the drugs that you put in your body. If you even choose to do that. So that brings me to another huge, um, aha or revelation for me in this book, which is, and, and it speaks to what you're just describing, which is the basis for how we believe in medicine that these drugs work is, has never been proven and is really just a myth. So yes. what I'm talking about is... Are you talking about antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs specifically right now? Yeah. Okay, so the, tell me. We, we have been taught in school and go on to practice in an environment that propagates this belief system around how depression develops and how anxiety develops in your brain. 
which is a quote chemical imbalance, right? How many times have you been told that? In fact, if you're on a drug for your mental health, it's probably been given to you under the premise that you have a chemical imbalance. Yeah, definitely. That was what I was told. Of course. And I believe this up until the point that I actually read this book and this book points to multiple resources and quotes multiple experts in the field of psychiatry that all agree that that theory has been abandoned long ago because it has never been proven. Yeah. There's a lot of things in America that like the public believe that were never proven. They were kind of just put out there, whether it was by the drug company or, or just literally like something kind of like the game telephone. Like it just caught fire and people were like, Oh, I think I believe this. And then pretty soon it's just common knowledge that we don't question. We don't question that. And it, and when I read that, it was almost like someone told me that the earth was flat, you know, (laughs) I, I agree. Yeah. Cause to me, the brain chemicals thing kind of really makes a lot of sense. So I didn't even, I was just like, Oh yeah. Or even just the hormone imbalance thing. Like I, they play on what we don't understand, which is our body and our brain. Like we don't understand that. So we're willing to believe that we're like, Oh yeah. Um, so interesting. And also, and for the author of this book, he describes his own personal, you know, I guess, struggle, internal struggle with accepting this because he wanted to believe his brain was just broken, that something was wrong with it, and it wasn't anything really wrong with him or his life. He wanted just to believe it was something wrong with his brain that was really straightforward and could be fixed with a pill. Yeah, I know it is a very sexy solution. Like if I just, and I'm, I'm not saying that people here or that any of us like don't want to do the work. I think we do. I think we just genuinely haven't, been educated. Like we just didn't know. I think it's just so, there's just so many people and so much money behind this, this, this unverified piece of talk in this, the postpartum world with depression, which is like the brain chemical imbalance. And then how is it even possible that every single doctor that I work with believes this? And it's never been proven. Like I, the, the story was interesting. He was saying, um, Oh, I, gosh, I can't remember it, but there was something about like way back in the, the early 1900s, there was, they were in a hospital. It was like a psych ward and they decided to take, um, was it the the serotonin pills or whatever, and give them to people with mental health issues. Um, and they seemed to be euphoric. And so they were like, oh, it just must have been a brain chemical imbalance. Like literally some some person was just like, yeah, oh. It was actually, it was a tuberculosis treatment. Oh, tell me, tell me that story. How did this like theory even come to be that's not verified, the brain chemical thing? The way that he explains the history of this theory that's never been proven. He got to is, the root of it. Yeah, he like researched yeah. it. And I'm sure he got it from some of these references that he cites, but this, it was just an observation of people who were like their mood completely shifted when they received this tuberculosis drug as an inpatient. And they found that it was some serotonergic effect. And so they just, that was the origin of the idea that it had to do with serotonin and serotonin is like the happy chemical in your brain. And then I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist either, but it was a very easy solution to present to people in a way that would sell um, a lot of drugs that you could just take this drug that boosts your serotonin and you would feel happy again. Yeah. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And what's unfortunate, but like what's also fortunate, is that it's not true. And the reason I say it's fortunate is because when you believe that serotonin is imbalanced, which there there is some space for that argument, okay? So we do want to touch on that later. You'll have maybe you might have to remind me Sarah, but there is and he does mention it in his book that there is some small argument for like some truth to the chemical imbalance or like biology or DNA, genetics whatever. But what I, as a coach, um, love about the fact that this isn't nearly as true or as much of a factor, the brain chemical thing as we thought, is because when we believe it's our brain chemicals, now we are dependent on a drug to feel better. And we're not even sure that that drug's going to work. And there's all these side effects. So I don't think like as lovely as it sounds, like it's not that lovely, even if it were true, because now we have to take a pill for the rest of our life. And there's side effects that honestly also haven't really been studied that much. Yeah. So you have this placebo effect, right? Which is super powerful. And he cites study after study of how exactly how powerful the placebo effect is, um, especially when it comes to these medications. But what I think is much more valuable when you realize that if it's not a chemical imbalance, there's another reason behind it is you get to get to the cause. And this is what I love the most. That's why I do diabetes is because we can mask it and cover it up and try to compensate with drugs. But if we're not actually addressing or even asking the question of what is causing this, the whole premise like, of his book is that depression and anxiety are a signal to you that there's something wrong. And so if you can know that there's a cause, then you're going to go looking for it. And if you can fix the cause, then you remove the need to treat the symptom. Yeah, you remove the, yeah, exactly, the depression and the anxiety, which then means you don't have to treat it. That's exactly what happened to me. That's so I found um, coaching, life coaching, which essentially is another way of saying I learned how to look at my thoughts and see what my thoughts were creating. And not only that, but I learned what I was missing in my life. I learned what was wrong, essentially. I I learned how to reconnect with myself and admit to myself some things that I was feeling in my motherhood that were actually really weighing on me. And I, you know what's fascinating is I hid them from myself like as a coping mechanism. So I ended up being depressed, but really like, 
I had actual causes that I could see, but with the way that I was managing my emotions, which is kind of just burying them down, you know, pushing them under the rug, so to speak, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed of the fact. I was ashamed that I felt lonely and unfulfilled in my motherhood. Like I could cry right now. That's never what I wanted. I always wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a good girl, like a good Latter-day Saint, you know, Mormon. I wanted to, I wanted to have the babies and please my mother and carry on whatever, whatever. Like I had this vision and I didn't feel that way at all. And I was devastated and I could not admit to myself that this wasn't working and I wasn't fit to do it this way. And so instead I just ended up depressive and anxious. And, and I did that for a while and I went through the system of like, okay, let me try yoga. Let me try. I had my friend do like Reiki, which actually those were beautiful, beautiful mediums. They didn't get to the root cause, but they were beautiful. And it was so nice to have somebody love on me and just touch me and hold me and tell me that, you know, nice kind things. And then, um, I tried antidepressants and for a while, right? The story that was sold to me when I was given those pills, that it was all going to be okay by somebody that I trusted was enough for a while. But then when I had that next baby, I was even deeper into the throes of motherhood. And, and I was even more out of touch with my own emotions now that I, and I had these side effects a little bit here and there. And the, 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 the cause of my depression was just getting bigger. And so eventually it got bigger than even the small effect of an antidepressant could cover. And now I really had to deal with it. So after that third baby is when I looked elsewhere and I found life coaching, which is essentially a lot like functional medicine in that the whole theory with coaching is it's at the root cause, um, with your emotions and your mind and your thoughts. Yeah. I love the conversation that Johan has, has with this woman. Her name's like Joanne. Let me see. It's Joanne something, but, um, she, is saying that it's not mental health. It's actually emotional health, but we call it mental health to medicalize it and turn it into like a science. Mm -hmm. But really what it is, is emotional health. And I think she's spot on. Yeah. I would agree with that. Having help, I was going to say treated, but I guess that's a medical word too, (laughs) but having served, um, just a bunch of moms now and having done this work myself, it is so much just how you manage and how you handle your emotions. I mean, yes, like the way you talk to yourself is important because that creates your emotions, but when you're in depression and anxiety, I find that we're so out of touch with our thoughts. And so the first place I start is in the body with the emotions and then we get to the thoughts. And it's wonderful because I actually got to experience this recently, right? Like, Tell how me. lucky am I? Oh, because you're three months postpartum. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So I, I found Lizzie at a coaching event, and I hired her to help me as a business coach. And then I promptly got pregnant with my sixth baby. And the depression and anxiety that comes with postpartum usually gets worse with each baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got pregnant, it wasn't very long before I noticed that I started to feel really depressed again. And I was shocked at how fast it overcame me. And I remember being in a lot of negative emotion all of a sudden and being so like almost in grief about what I thought I had lost. And I needed a lot of coaching on how to deal with all of that judgment about feeling bad, the grief of about about what I thought I had lost. Like I was able to survive the depression that I that just tried to take over my life again because I was able to see that the source of it was coming from my thinking. Yeah. Yes. And like that's very self 
confronting and self-vulnerable work. And sometimes just to get the guts up to like face that stuff, or even to just be able to identify it, you just, it's so nice to have help and to have somebody do that with you. And, and, and the beginning a little bit for you, like, Oh, let me show you what I just saw that we can't even see in ourselves. Yeah. And to learn how to do what you can to feel better when you feel really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to say here too, if you're pregnant, you can also come work with me. I think sometimes people are like, okay, I'll wait till I have my baby. And I just want to say, I was able to help Sarah with any depressiveness or, or like, um, just conflict and emotional stuff that came up, um, in relation to her pregnancy. And then I think we took a couple weeks off when you had your baby, we skipped a couple weeks, right? Um, and then we got back on the train and at first we just took it really slow and it was just like sleep training and stuff. But, um, I just find that, um, the more mental awareness you have going into postpartum, the better as far as, um, avoiding really getting deep into depression and anxiety. And if it does come up, you can move through it within a couple weeks versus a couple few months kind of a thing. Yeah. And if, you know, you moms at home that are surrounded by little kids, like, tell me a day where you don't have some kinds of feelings and thoughts that horrify you. <laughs> yeah. Like I want to, yeah. Like the scary ones that flash across your mind and then the, yeah, just yeah. don't make your crazy thoughts mean anything about you other than that. You're just human <laughs> and maybe yeah. you need a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talking or coming from Sarah, who's mother of six. That's amazing. So one thing I wanted to touch on is the nine actual causes of depression and anxiety that he, this is like the apex of his entire work. I, I like the biggest takeaway. So if you're not going to go read the book, like this is the good stuff right here. I mean, in my mind, I think there was a lot of good stuff with uncovering mistruths and realizing that all this stuff that sounds true and is told to us from people we really believe, like it's been taught through the medical school system, but it like, there isn't a foundation there. And so that's really interesting. Um, but this part right here, the nine actual causes of depression and anxiety, um, I want to talk about those as well. Yeah. And I think after you hear about them, you're going to understand why it's so much easier to offer somebody a pill or a quote treatment then to try to discover what it is that's actually causing the depression and anxiety, it's not something that you can diagnose. Like you have to get to know the person. You have to spend time talking to them and understanding them. And I just want to tell you that I, for the last several years in my clinic, I was asked to step up in the wake of the retirement of my psychiatric pharmacist specialist um, colleague. She retired. So she had run this clinic with a therapist for a couple of years. And when she left, someone had to step up and, and take, you know, take the role of seeing the most mentally ill patients that would come to our clinic. Okay. So I was doing a clinic on Tuesdays with a therapist seeing patients that were coming to a primary care clinic and needed to see a psychiatrist, yeah. but we had no psychiatry available in Billings. And so, I mean, almost none. there was very poor access. And so we got some of the most you know, difficult cases, a lot of um, history, childhood trauma, um, tried and failed a lot of drugs, substance abuse, all the things. And so I, I, when I read, read this book and we're going to talk about these causes, there were always times when I was meeting with these different people and all their different stories where I could see that 
there's a really good reason for why they feel depressed and anxious. Yes. And we were not dealing with that in that clinic. What we were doing was clarifying a diagnosis and recommending treatment options, which usually looked like you need to go to therapy and you need to try these drugs. Mm -hmm. And so, and I just deep down and as a life coach, even like when I would hear these people's thoughts, they, they were saying to me, I was like, this is where you need to spend some time working. It's, I'm going to give you, I'm going to recommend the best things I can as far as drugs, but these drugs are not going to fix these different clear reasons why you have depression and anxiety. Yes. Before I read the, the nine actual causes of depression and anxiety, which this is the newest research, like top of the line, I want you to think of this as replacing anything you've heard in hearsay and anything outdated in the medical field. Um, is there anything you wanted to say as you've worked alongside therapy and therapists? Like I have an episode on therapy versus coaching. Um, but real quick as a pharmacist, who's kind of seen a bit of both, what's your take on that? Like the comparison between therapy and coaching or yeah. Yeah. So great question. And I, I know that you can answer this just as well as me, but the way that because I've gotten to see a lot of therapists or work right next to a lot of therapists um, yeah. in my role as a clinical pharmacist, I, I understand that a lot of the training that they receive and the way that they help their patients has to do with teaching a lot of tools um, to cope with, a, you know, a lot of the feelings and thoughts that people have that make them feel depressed and anxious. But so they're teaching them a lot of tools, like ways to cope, different ways to think about things. Um, and I think that they're valuable to know. I 100% think people should see a therapist. But what I have discovered in life coaching, which is different, is that the, the cause is not usually addressed in therapy and it is in life coaching. And so what is happening with a coach is that they're going into your mind looking for your own beliefs, your own thoughts that generate feelings of anxiety and depression. And instead of just teaching you a bunch of tools and ways to think about it differently, we're actually finding out what the thoughts and beliefs are that you already have that you can look at and notice and appraise like and just become aware of that is the cause for your own emotions. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think one thing therapy has on coaching is just the history. It's just been around so long. And so insurance is usually with it. Right. And, um, and it's just right. more known. Um, but I think there's some amazing advantages of coaching one of them being that it's not tied to the medical industry at all and that we're not working to represent a company or a doctor. We're working for ourselves. And so really, I feel like my best marketing is the results that I get my clients. And I like that. I like that. What attracts people to me is the life, literally the changes that people have been able to make, like the actual way that it works. That's what yeah. literally what sells what I give people. And that, I feel like that's just in such integrity. And I love that. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So the nine actual causes of depression and anxiety, I will read them. We'll touch on a few of them and then we'll wrap up and you guys can go do more research on these as you would love to. So, um, just as I read these, if you're feeling depressive and anxious, okay, I want you to even pause the episode if needed and reflect because the chances are one of these things or a few of them or all of them possibly are contributing to you being anxious and depressive right now. Okay. So number one, 
Disconnection from meaningful work, whatever that means to you. Disconnection from meaningful work. And then um, after this, we will have, I want Sarah, I would love for you to weigh in too. Um, Number two, disconnection from other people. Um, Number three, disconnection from meaningful values. Number four, disconnection from childhood trauma. Five, disconnection from status and respect. Six, disconnection from the natural world. Seven, disconnection from a hopeful or secure future. Eight, disconnection. Well, eight is kind of, it's the real role of genes and brain changes. Okay. Forgive me. That's not really one of them, but, um, I guess that can, that can have an effect is any brain changes and genes. So, um, tell me what are you, let's, let's just take these one at a time and talk about them in the context of motherhood. So number one, disconnection from meaningful work. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I relate so well to this because I didn't know that I had a belief um, for a long time, even as a coach, um, it, it sort of became more clear to me in the last year. But I remember, and I wonder if reading some of Brene Brown's work has helped me see this. But I know that when I show up to work as a pharmacist, like I feel like I matter, that I'm important, that I have like credentials and something to be like, you know, perceive me, my reputation to perceive me. But when I show up at home, I don't feel like my work is really important there sometimes like I can, I can definitely marginalize and minimize the importance of my work at home in my own mind, even though I know it's not true. Like God holds it to be probably the most honorable work is to raise children. Mm -hmm. But in my own mind, I didn't really believe that. I believed when I go to work as a pharmacist, that's where I matter and where I'm important. People respect me and mm-hmm. uphold me. But in my work at home, I felt very much like a thankless slave. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of this is just our brains. Um, what's the word when you get like, okay, for example, I don't like taking things to the post office because it's a lot of work and I drop the stuff off and then I don't get that nice feeling of like, like seeing them open the package. Oh, instant gratification. That's what it is. I think we are programmed for instant gratification and childbearing and child raising is those are slow fruits. Like it takes months, you know, it takes weeks of nursing your baby before you get a smile. And then it takes a couple years before, you know, their behavior starts to change or they listen to the rules you've put in. It's like, it's just a slower work and it is so eternally important. I, I don't mean to minimize it. I'm just saying that I think sometimes the nature of motherhood kind of works against the grain of our brain that just wants that instant. We want to see the results every day. And sometimes like day after day after day, our kids do the same stuff. We, we don't ask, we ask them not to do (laughs) just like warps our brain a little bit. So I do think having something that you can very quickly see the results of, whether it's a job or something you're making, like a quilt is something to work into weave into your motherhood. And that really helps. Okay. Number. Oh, go ahead. Tell me. It's also not like your kids are saying, thank you, mom. Thank you for keeping me clean and (laughs) well-fed and bringing me all the places I want to go. They usually don't do that. And so if you don't give that to yourself, like, and you're not getting it from anywhere, it can feel very just unappreciated. You can feel like nobody cares. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yep. They're not like, mom, this is so meaningful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, exactly. um, number two, disconnection from other people. So this is one that postpartum specifically comes up just because right. People are going to be polite and distance themselves from you. Cause your baby's new, especially with COVID distance from other people. And I mean like physical touch, right? Hugging, laughing in the same room, feeling each other's energy. Tell us what are your thoughts about that? And that's speaking to like your support network, like the people that you talk to about your thoughts and feelings. Yes. And if your husband is really like the main one for you and then postpartum, sometimes our relationship with our husband can just feel so strange. Like it just doesn't, we don't feel normal. So then our marriage doesn't feel normal. And if you don't have other people built in for sure, you're going to feel disconnected, um, from him and from other people. And that's what I do love about coaching is you're basically paying somebody to keep you very connected or just aware of your disconnection and to be able to work on that. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, and to talk about your thoughts and feelings in a way where you're not feeling vulnerable and judged. Yeah, and also, like, I'm not going to validate without making you aware. I'm not going to validate, validate thoughts that you have in your brain that are bringing you pain. Like I'm going to show you what they're doing so that you can like release them and not feel that pain anymore. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. And what you said, what you said about husbands, I, I, it makes me think of being pregnant with number five and sitting on the front porch with my husband and feeling like he was miles away and crying because I was so close. We had such a close relationship and then I got pregnant. And for some reason in that pregnancy, like I just felt so disconnected from him and I missed him. Yeah. I was sitting right next to him. Oh, absolutely. I think we mourn. I think there's so much loss that we experience postpartum and we don't really realize it. It's not really talked about, but like we can mourn and grieve the closeness and the friendship that we felt like we had before we were up all night nursing and grumpy and have no desire for sex, right? Like our marriage, we can sometimes mourn that relationship or maybe even two or three babies in, right? But that totally happens. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so three disconnection from meaningful values. What are your thoughts yeah. on this one? So this one is mostly about, um, like wanting to search for false pleasures. Like he calls them junk values, but believing that, um, it's what you own or what you have or how you look that brings you happiness. Mm. Okay. So getting past the surface level into like really deep value, like, like honestly, it just kind of sounds like self-worth, like truly yeah. understanding your self-worth. That's what, cause that's what I see a lot of my moms that come to me 
like don't understand their own worth and they don't feel, they don't value themselves. Like they value their kids time and their husband's time and their husband's money sometimes, or, or like the money that their husband needs or wants or what he wants with the money more than theirs for sure. And they don't carve out that time for themselves. Yeah. And I think, um, the compare and despair factor, Mm, you know, like social media comparing, yeah, looking at how other people's lives look from the outside and comparing yourself and thinking that they're happy and you're not. And so you're a bad mom (laughs) or something. Yeah. Yeah. Not doing right. Maybe. Yeah, totally. Disconnection from childhood trauma. Yeah. So I want, Oh, go ahead. Tell me. (laughs) I'm like, no, you It sounds like childhood trauma, like sounds like really clear about what this is about, but I want to just tell you that I really think this is about shame. Oh, childhood trauma and shame. Yeah. That people have so much shame and blame about their own trauma in their childhood Mm. and that disconnects them. It makes them feel alone that they're not worthy of acceptance and belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that if people knew what had happened to them, that, that people wouldn't accept them. And so I really think this one is about shame. Yeah. I also think that if you're, if you had a mom that was like, if you have, if you had parents with mental health issues that can affect you in a traumatic way and it can impact your mental health as well. And then another thing I wanted to say is, you know, sometimes in the LDS church, we're all just like, oh, like we're, we're, we're good. Like there's some, like the family's good. We're, the family's really important. There's a lot of crap that happens and it's not just our church. It's any church, but like, I'm just saying sometimes we kind of minimize this stuff. Cause we're like, Oh, well, they're just good people living the gospel, but there's stuff that goes on in our homes. Like, like verb, like st- even if it's unbeknownst to us or, or our parents were doing their best and they didn't mean to like, there's, there could be stuff that you have on your heart today that comes from things your parents said to you or words, you know, whatever feelings that you felt that you went through. And so I just want you to think like, if you don't identify as somebody with childhood trauma, not saying you should make something out of nothing, but look back at the child, you with an eye of just love and compassion. And you might be surprised what your brain offers you and brings to the surface that comes with emotion. It just takes all of these. It takes slowing down and considering ourselves. And that is just something we don't do. And we do it even less as moms. So you've got to connect with yourself and just check each of these points. Let's go to the next one. Disconnection from status and respect. Yep. So he's talking about having purpose and like being a person who matters in the world. So yeah. So like a lot of people feel like that they don't matter that you know, that if they weren't there, nobody would notice. Yeah. Um, and, and that can feel very diminishing. Yeah. Especially when you're at home all day and your little people just, it's not like they take you for granted. They just don't even kind of though, they're kind of not, not really in a mental state where they can even consider how you feel when they're, especially when they're really young, it's all about them. Right. And that's what they need. They're developing, their brain is developing and that's what helps them survive. Um, and so we are in charge of feeling respected, right. And creating that for ourselves. And we are in charge of finding a way to contribute outside of the home, possibly that helps us that feeds our, our need for connection with contribution and status. Yeah, and I I think we have a culture that oh all you do is you're oh you're just a stay at home mom. Oh, it's like, totally, totally. What else do you do? Is do yeah. you do anything else? Yeah. 
Isn't that interesting? I think that we all need to recognize that our culture does not um, elevate the role of a stay-at-home mom or a mom to the same degree that we do like a medical professional or somebody that has a career. Right. Yeah. And part of me is like, okay, that means that you need to figure out ways to talk to yourself about your motherhood that help create that sense of importance. I don't feel like I did enough of that. And also I did all I could. So it was a little bit of both. It was like genuinely, I also just had interests and really wanted and had a desire to do something for myself outside of the home and contribute to the world in another way. And I have loved doing that. It's given back to my motherhood. Um, but no matter what you do and choose to do, it really just all comes down to your thoughts are going to create your feelings. Um, and I wish I would have known that (laughs) before, but I love what I'm, yeah, tell me like recognizing how important you are to God, Mm. like having that relationship and that spiritual connection can feed you that what you need in that way. Um, and as long as you are consciously aware that you need to value yourself as much as God values you. Yes. Again, like it almost feels like self-worth and looking at yourself through his eyes. Um, the next one is disconnection from the natural world, which kind of speaks for his itself. Um, but I, I did notice that when I was inside so much, and sometimes when your kids are really little or you have a new baby, it's hard to get outside. And if you live in a city, it's, I mean, you might just see your house plants and maybe a tree across the street and that's it. And so just making sure that you're touching nature enough, being with nature. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I think, um, all of us probably know this kind of intellectually that it's important to go outside But I think that, um, and he doesn't actually talk a great deal about this in the chapter he dedicates to this, but I think that there is something about going outside that makes your problems feel smaller. Yeah. And being in, you know, we are designed, think about it. How did we evolve on this earth? We evolved outside. Like we are very connected to the earth and Mm. It makes sense. Like we're not meant to sit indoors in artificial light all the time. There's something about being outside that nurtures and develops us the way we're meant to be as human beings. And so if it's missing from your life, um, that it's possible that bringing it back in would be of benefit to you. Yes. Yeah. Every February we go to Arizona because it's just winter, winter, winter here. And I need, I grew up in the desert and I've just noticed that I am, I'm prone to seasonal depression during the winter if I don't get, um, like certain types of sunlight. And so, or just that those indoor lights that you can have. It's true though. Like the vitamin D, I remember when I was really, really depressed. Um, and I was already trying the medications and I was just really desperate to feel better faster. I think I was waiting for my meds to kick in. And so I would just lay out in the sunshine for like 20 minutes. Um, this was in Arizona and it is amazing. I mean, it could have been my thoughts too, but there is a connection between us and the elements. I totally believe that and have felt that. Um, disconnection from a hopeful or secure future. So this is a lot of the work that I do with my clients when it comes to their anxiety. It's always about the future and our brain really forgets sometimes that it cannot control everything. And so I feel like anxiety is the pain that we feel when we are thinking about and reaching into the future, trying to get our hands on things that we cannot actually control, obviously not really our hands, but like when we're thinking thoughts, what if this happens? What if this happens? 
we are in anxiety, we feel it really physiologically is threatening to us when we're meddling with things we can't control. So I really help my clients just stay within the realm of what they can control. And it's actually in that moment when you learn how to release control and be comfortable with the discomfort of that, that you win and that you really calm way down. So come, come find me. If you have anxiety, you need anxiety help. What were you, tell me what you want to say about this, Sarah. Yeah. I remember being at home with kids and feeling like it was never going to end. Oh my just gosh. the suffering, yes. oh, yes. you know? Yeah. 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 And I, I have many friends that have many more children than I do. And <laughs> really? I would That's amazing. Them, I know. Right. Um, <laughs> I would talk to them about how bad everything sucked all the time, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know. Talk, oh, it gets easier. Like at some point it does get easier. And I remember after I had number five, I was angry with them. I was like, y'all are a bunch of liars. Nothing has gotten easier. Everything still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that sometimes feeling trapped in that situation and not knowing when it's going to end it feels like forever to you because in your mind, you can't see the end. Mm, totally. Yeah. When we're postpartum, especially if you've never experienced what you're experiencing before, I find that that's a question we ask ourselves a lot is like, am I ever going to feel better? And you, I want to just say with my work with my clients and with myself, when you are resisting how you're feeling now, um, you're just creating more of it. And so you have to be really careful and please, I I just advise you to get help with this from me if you want it. Um, with, uh, if you are feeling really, really, really anxious and you just find yourself worrying and thinking about the same stuff all the time, I can totally help you with that. So, so to kind of wrap up now, um, if you are on meds, Actually, Sarah, I want, I want you to say this cause you're the pharmacist here. And I feel like you've just seen so many people come back to you to get refill after refill. And then you've also seen the impact of life coaching. So what do you want to say to our mamas listening today, um, as kind of your parting message? I wonder if you're listening to this podcast and you're finding Lizzie's help, you know, help in one way or another, that it's possible that if you're on meds, that you're just not getting to the place you want to be and you're not sure what else to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And because we know that these medications have a very limited way to help you and that there's causes to depression and anxiety that can be addressed, it might be time for you to take a look at what your depression and anxiety is actually telling you. Like maybe there is signal to you that there's a disconnection in your life that you can remedy by just becoming aware of it and addressing it. And if that gives you real true healing and opens up the possibility of being happy again in the future, like, wouldn't you want to do that? Totally. Yes. And I want to just put my opinion on that too, is that it's worth all of the efforts and all of the money you might spend, whether it's hiring a coach or, you know, whatever, help and, and, or whether it's just like paying for a sitter to get out more often, whatever you figure out. Um, or if you don't even want to try to figure out by yourself, or if you're worried, you can't figure out. Honestly, I think a lot of my clients, they're, they're just so, so burned to the ground as far as emotionally. And they're a little, they're out of like, when they come to me, I should say, they're just like, they're tired. They're tired of trying on their own. They're tired of feeling like they're pulling a weight every day just to get through the day. And I just want you to know, like, you don't have to settle for that motherhood of all things. 
does not need to feel like that. And you deserve a motherhood that feels amazing, as amazing as you wished it would be when you started. And not just a motherhood, but a life, right? Your motherhood is your life as well. And we just get one. So we are both here to help you. If you struggle with postpartum depression specifically, come talk to me. If you're also thinking about getting on antidepressants, like I hope this um, episode has educated you and I hope your time and money can be even better spent figuring out the root cause of your stuff that's bringing you into depression. I would love to help you with that. So you can find me at lizzylangston.com forward slash consult. And then I really, you guys, I work with Sarah very closely and I feel her expertise and passion for type two diabetes. So if you want help on that, Sarah, tell us again, um, all the offerings you have, how they can work with you at all. Yep. So as a pharmacist, I'm an expert in using medications for diabetes, but they don't actually fix the problem. And over the years, I've gotten really passionate about offering people the real solution, which is in their lifestyle. And unfortunately, we don't talk about the real cure for diabetes very much in the doctor's office. And so I like to help people do that as a coach. You can find me at afuturebydesign.com. Don't forget the A in afuturebydesign.com. Cool. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, pharmacist Sarah (laughs) and mother of six and client and friend of mine for being here. We love you. And we will talk to you guys again next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, Lizzie here. I've helped dozens of postpartum moms just like you to manage their postpartum anxiety and deconstruct their postpartum depression. It's really easy for me. So if you're ready to feel better, I know the way. Let's chat on the phone. Set up a time by going to lizzylangston.com forward slash consult. It's pretty simple and I will be calling you soon. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.